<laughs> there we go. So uh, this is my last seminar of the day, and they've still given me a microphone, and I'm so tired, I might talk utter drivel, so <laughs> apologies. I'm really pleased to come and talk to you about this topic. I was given the title, The Naked Truth, Porn, Pubes and Puberty. Um, and I thought it might be a very short seminar if I just said, I don't think it's healthy to watch porn. I think you should look after your pubes. And I think puberty totally rocks. <laughs> and I think Jesus probably agrees with that. That'll be a very short seminar. Um, but actually, I quite like that it's those three words, because I think porn is a, is a conversation that we need to have because our sexuality is so complex, and sexual desire is such a complicated thing to think about and talk about, whether we're Christians or not. Like, the fact that we as human beings feel these deep sexual urges, these longings to connect with somebody else, these longings to understand ourselves sexually, that's, that is a big confusing thing. And it's a big confusing thing even before there was online porn. There's always been erotica, hasn't there? Like, if you, if you find, like, the ancient caves of the Mesopotamians, there was always, like, sexual art, erotica art. But pornography is a whole other level online porn, and that just makes this whole conversation a lot more complex. So we're going to talk about that just a little bit. Pubes matters, because I think so often in church, sometimes we can give the message that our minds are great, like worshipping Jesus and the spiritual stuff is brilliant, but our bodies are a problem, and women's bodies are a problem, and bodies and all around a problem, and pubes, oh my goodness, we can't talk about pubes, and we can't talk about genitalia, and we can't talk about that kind of stuff. Whereas actually our tradition as Christians is that we have a very high view of our bodies. God made our bodies and we experience the presence of God through our bodies. And so it's really important that we have really positive views of our bodies, including our genitalia. We can talk about penises and vagina and it, not, I mean, it can make us giggle because they're such stupid words. But actually, it's really important that we can use those words in church. And I know my friends here at the front have done a lot of work around sexual exploitation. It's really important in church that we use the proper words for stuff and we can talk about bodies. Your body is good. Your body is good. God made your body. And scripture says, glorify God through your body. So actually taking care of our bodies, sexual health really matters. And the last one, puberty. So that wonderful period of time that starts probably around about the age of eight or nine or ten and goes right the way up to 99, no, right up the way up to sort of end of teenage years, like puberty where your body is going through so many changes and your brain is going through so many changes. I don't know if you've experienced this, maybe some of the leaders in the room can experience this a bit more, but I think sometimes in church... We can give the message that we love kids' programs. Kids are so cute. They're so sweet. They're amazing. And adults are a bit more like, they're, they're established and settled. But adolescents, young people, oh my days, pheromones, testosterone, hormones, puberty. And I went into a church once that had a poster on its wall. And it said, you know, we invest in children's work because we believe that, you know, children are amazing, made in God's image. And they had like a project for the elderly. We invest in elderly. You know, it's amazing. And they had projects for like food bank and all this kind of stuff. And they, the write-up about youth work went like this. Youth is such a challenging age. 
represent so many complex issues. And it was like, oh my goodness, every group has something really positive written about them, apart from those going through puberty. And so sometimes in church, we've given the impression that Jesus cares about your prayer life, about your worshipping, about tithing, but he doesn't care about things like periods and erections and masturbation and all that stuff that when you're a teenager, when you're going through puberty, somehow you're kind of working this stuff out for the first time. And so if you get nothing else from this seminar, because you're absolutely shocked and traumatized that I've used the word penis at some madness and you just can't hear anything else, I hope you take away from this that your sexuality is good. God made you as a sexual being. Thinking about sex, being curious about sex, having sexual urges is not a problem. It's not a problem. That your body is good. God cares about your body. God cares about how other people treat your body. God cares that you are free to say no to how people treat your body and that you have choices over how you treat your body and that puberty, the stage of development you're going through is not a problem. And I really hope that you are part of churches that help you in this because there's, some, there's a reason why Jesus often chose younger people to be involved with what he did. His disciples were freshly out of puberty. <laughs> Like all the way through scripture, God often does the most extraordinary things through younger people who are still working out who they are. It's a really important, exciting age. So apologies if it felt like I slightly patronized you and explained those three things. But I just want you to know the stage of life you're with, you're going through, is really important. It's really precious to God. So enough of that. I wonder what the weirdest thing you've ever heard about sexes. I wonder how you first learned about human reproduction. I wonder what conversations about sex, I wonder what sex ed has looked like at school or at home. And uh, I started off as a, I've always been a church-based or a Christian youth-based youth worker, and I'm passionate about exploring what scripture says about relationships and sexuality um, and connecting that with young people inside the church and outside the church. I think Jesus is really good news for young people's sexuality. There's a lot of wisdom in scripture. But when I first started as a, as a youth worker in North London, um, there was something called Blue Waffle. There was a sexually transmitted infection. Some of you are smiling at me because you remember this. There was a sexually transmitted infection doing the rounds called Blue Waffle. And the symptoms, like you knew you had it, if basically you had a common cold. That was the symptoms, like a runny nose, a bit of a cough. Um, but if you had blue waffle, you would, like your bits would fall off and then you would die. And the problem is that blue waffle doesn't exist. It's a complete lie. It was made, like somebody made a Wikipedia page for it. And in like the early 2000s, when I started out as a youth worker in North London, every 15 year old I met, was convinced it existed. 
and was convinced that they had blue waffle. And I remember like dragging teenagers down the school corridor to the school nurse and saying to the school nurse, will you please just tell this young person that blue waffle does not exist? And even though this nurse was there with all their science background, this young person was like, no, I've got a, I've got a runny nose. My bits are about to fall off. I've got blue waffle. Now, little side bit, they probably still need to be checked for sexually transmitted infections anyway. But it was really interesting that for that generation, they believed they had blue waffles. I remember being a youth worker in Brighton on the south coast of England. I was a little church youth worker. I was about 19, 20 years old. And I was asked to come into a high school and to stand in front of year nine and year 10, so 14, 15 year olds, and tell them that empty crisp packets can't be used as condoms. I had to stand there and say that because this whole group of young people in this particular school thought they could use it. People have believed the strangest things about sex and about relationships. But sometimes in the church, we can fall into the trap of believing strange things like God doesn't care about this, like the things that I'm thinking, the questions that I have mean that I'm a bit weird. I'm not like other people. That if I was to ever say to my youth leader, I've got this question, or I want to know about this, or can, can you help me understand what the Bible says about this? That somehow the youth worker will go, what? There's a young person here with a question about sex. And somehow, like, everybody would know and you'd be shamed. And I really hope that this seminar this afternoon reassures you that actually your questions are good. Like, it's important that you're asking questions. It's important. And particularly for those of you that are exploring what it means to follow Jesus. I'm not going to assume that all of you are. But for particularly those of you here that are saying, actually, Jesus is really important in my life. I want to follow Jesus. I want to really encourage you to talk to somebody in your church about anything that I talk about today. So... A few years ago, I did a little bit of a survey um, for a book that I'd written called The Sex Thing. Um, I did some survey among 500 young people aged 16 to 25 who all self-identify as Christians. So not just churchgoers, but they like, I have a vibrant faith. <clears throat> and I asked them loads of questions about sex and the church. And the first question I asked was, do you think the church should teach Christian young people about sex? There is so much sex ed in school. There is so much information online. There are so many programs out there about sex. <clears throat> Do you think that the church has a role to play in teaching young people about sex? And overwhelmingly, these young people from a variety of church backgrounds said yes. And then I said, do you think your church should be teaching Christian young people that they shouldn't have sex outside of marriage. So one of the core teachings all the way through human history, through church history, across denominations, across traditions has been that the, that the Bible says that sex is about uniting two people in one flesh. It's not something that you would do with a number of different people, even if you're consenting. For Christians, it's a covenant thing. It's about two becoming one flesh. So I asked this group, do you think that the church should still be teaching that? Like, A, is it possible? And B, is it helpful? Is it something that really would help Christian young people? And interestingly, initially the answer was no. And by the end of the survey, most of the group said, actually, yes, I think actually that is a core part of 
of living out what it means to be obedient to Jesus is that actually we think about sex maybe in a way that is different sometimes to the culture around us. And that really interested me. Um, so what do you think Jesus wants to say to us about porn, about pubes, about puberty, and about sex? And here's a verse from scripture that I come back to time and time again, and quite a few of these young people in the survey uh, responded to. It's this in the New Testament, where Paul is trying to explain to a brand new bunch of Christians, new converts to Christianity, he's trying to explain how attitudes to sex and relationships, when they start following Jesus, that that begins to look different to the cultural ideas of the day. And he's writing to a bunch of Christians in Corinth. And Corinth was a big port town. And there was lots of worship to the goddess Diana. And she was the goddess of fertility. She had many breasts. So any statues to Diana had this woman with loads of boobs. That was like their goddess. And people would come from all around the ancient world to Corinth. They would do their trading in the port. And they would spend a bit of time worshipping the goddess Diana. And those worship services probably don't look anything like summer madness worship services because they were basically sex orgies. There would be loads of male and female sex prostitutes at the temple and worshippers would come and as part of their worship they could have sex with somebody as part of their worship because the belief went like this. It actually doesn't matter what you do with your body. Actually, we're just animals. We have urges. We're hungry. We eat. We're horny. We have sex. So just have sex. That's part of your worship to goddess Diana. And, and that's okay. What happens in Corinth stays in Corinth, and it's all fine. And some of these folks were converting to Christianity. They heard about Jesus. And Paul is trying to explain to them how having Jesus at the center of your life transforms how you think about everything, practical stuff like sex. And so he says this, your body is a sacred place. Ooh, hear the rain. <laughs> That's amazing. I'm glad we're in here. Your body is a sacred place, the place of the Holy Spirit. Don't you see that you can't live however you please, squandering what God paid such a high price for? The physical part of you is not some piece of property that belongs to the spiritual part of you. God owns the whole thing. So let God, people see God in and through your body. Now this verse throughout church history has sometimes been used as a kind of a weapon against people. Don't get a tattoo because your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit and that's a bit yucky if you get a tattoo. I don't think this verse has anything to do with getting tattoos. I would love to get a tattoo. I'm just too chicken to go and get it done. I don't have some big theological reason why I don't have a tattoo. I think this has nothing to do with that. I think it has everything to do with how we order our sexual lives, how we make choices about our most intimate expression of sexuality. And can you imagine how radical that was for these new Christians? Oh, my day is all going off today, isn't it? Can you imagine how radical that was? 
They're, they're growing up in a culture that says it doesn't matter what you do with your body because your body one day will just be worm food. It doesn't actually matter. And Paul's like, no, hell no. It does matter what you do with your body. It does matter what other people do to your body because your body is loved by God. And your body is a place where you experience the presence of God. So let, God, let people see that you are different through your body. The link to pornography is the word that was used in Corinth to describe the ships coming from all around the ancient world into the port town of Corinth, offloading their cargo, getting more cargo on and then leaving again. That word was porneia, passing through. And that's where we get the word pornography from. Because pornography is the very opposite of committed, loving, intimate, real, honest, flesh and blood relationship. Pornography is using somebody else's body for your own gratification. It's about saying they don't really matter, they're just a body. They don't really matter. I can watch them, I can use them, I can use these images. It doesn't really matter what they, what about them. It doesn't really matter how I use my body. There's, none of this really matters. So it's interesting, it comes from that term, doesn't it? And Paul's saying the reason why it's good to be free from pornography is not just because it generates really unhealthy attitudes to your body, to other people's body, to what you think sex can be, but because it's the very opposite of how you are created. You are created to have intimate, meaningful friendships and relationships with real human beings who are committed and devoted to you. And pornography is the very opposite. So I wonder if you want to think about your own life for now. And I would be somebody who, if you want to get into categories, I hold to a historic understanding of sex presented in scripture. So I hold to what that is taught. And I know that not everybody in the room will agree with that, and that's absolutely okay, but that's where I come from. But I wonder for you, as you are working out how you use your body, how you respond to sexual urges, how you deal with sexual ideas, how you respond to this, I wonder what's your, it's all good. Like, I'm okay. I found ways to deal with this. I've got someone to talk to, I've made some boundaries, I've got some values, I know what I'm gonna say yes to, I know what I'm gonna say no to, and why. When I was about 16, one of my it's all good was, I thought actually, if the Bible says that sex is about becoming one flesh with somebody else, I don't want to be sexually intimate with anybody until I'm committed to them for life, and them to me. That's one of the decisions that I made. My motivation for that was I didn't want God to be angry with me. I didn't want to get pregnant, and I didn't want my mum to shout at me. So my motivations weren't all that great, but I'm so glad that I made that choice then because it really helped me work out who do I date, what boundaries do we have, who am I accountable to. It really helped me with all that stuff because... I kind of worked out, what's my, I, that's going to be my thing. That's what I really think scripture teaches. So that's how I'm going to live it out. I wonder what your, I've got to stop this is. As you sat, sit there listening to this, I wonder at the moment what you're struggling with in terms of your own sexuality. 
like you're struggling to understand how certain things turn you on, you're not sure who to talk to. I wonder if there are habits and patterns of behavior. Maybe you're watching stuff, doom scrolling stuff, finding images, masturbating to images, finding it difficult to kind of get a handle on that. I wonder what's your, oh, I've got to stop this because actually this is not healthy in my life. This is not helping me value myself sexually and value other people. It's not helping me live out the goal that I think God has for me. And I wonder what's your not yet. Like, there's so much here you're talking about, Rachel. I just don't think I can think about this stuff yet. I don't think that's for me. I've just come here to this seminar because it was funny with the word porn and pubes and puberty. But I, I can't really be thinking about this stuff yet. That's okay. So I wonder what's your... It's all good. I wonder what's your... I've got to stop this. And I wonder what's your not yet. Back to the survey. So I asked this group of young people, if you think your church should be teaching, should be talking with Christian young people about sex, what topics would you like them to cover? And I gave them a drop-down list of about 30 different things. And number one was how to have healthy relationships. So thought was really interesting, youth leaders out there, how to have healthy relationships. In this age of toxic unequal relationships, where we understand a lot about misplaced power dynamics. Like, how do we as Christian young people, how do you as Christian young people have healthy relationships? What does that look like? What the Bible teaches about stuff. Like, what does the Bible teach about gender, about sexuality, about sexual urges, about no sex for marriage? Is that even in the Bible? Rachel, you stand up here saying when you were 16, you decided not to have sex for marriage. Like, where did you get that from? Is there a verse in the Bible that says, thou shalt not have any genital contact with someone before marriage? Like, where did you get that from? What, where does the Bible say this stuff? So a bit more input and support around that. Setting sexual boundaries. Like, so if you do start dating somebody, or if you are online, like, what are your boundaries around what you look at? If you are watching films, if you are playing games online, like, where are your boundaries? What do you say, actually, I'm not going to play an 18-rated game? Because just the way they treat sex and the way they treat women, I just I don't want anything to do with that. Where do you put your boundaries around your relationships? If you're dating somebody, how far is too far? What does that look like? And then the last one was dealing with feelings of shame and guilt. And interestingly, this group of young adults said this, we are going to make mistakes. We're going to make mistakes with this stuff. And what we want is a church that when we make mistakes, don't go, you did what? But says, okay, let's talk about it. Let's pray about it. The beautiful thing is that there's grace there's forgiveness. You can find new ways through this. So I wonder if you could talk to the person next to you. It's safe, don't mind. I'm not going to ask you to share anything intimate. But have a chat with the person next to you. What would you like the church that you're part of to open up good conversations with you and all ages about when it comes to sex? Is it one of these four? Is it nothing here and it's something else that is not up on this list? And I'd love, after you've had a discussion, maybe to get a couple of you just to give some feedback. Like, what do you think your generation would really appreciate the church talking about? Are you ready? Go on then, chat with the person next to you. Go for it. Okay.
I'd love to hear some of the things that you guys were talking about. I'm afraid this, well, lucky for you, this mic doesn't stretch. So you can just sit there giving me stony glares because I can't come anywhere close to you and put the mic in your face, which is good. Um, but any, any thoughts? You'd have to shout it out or come to the front. <coughs> like, what, what were some of the things that you guys resonated? Anything on the list or anything different? What do you think would be really helpful for people who are following Jesus that their churches open up conversation about? What are the biggies? What are some of the things? Anyone want to go for it? He's really brave. Yeah. And that's a really tough conversation, isn't it? It's really, because it's often, particularly when you're with someone that you really like and you're really intimate, and they, it feels so glorious. And that's how it's supposed to be. Like, it's supposed to feel gorgeous being with somebody and you like them and they like you. And, you know, the plan is not that you sit down with your little box and you say, right, let's just draw on this figure the bits in the box that we will touch and won't touch. Like, that's not realistic. That's not going to happen. But actually, for relationships to be safe and good and honoring and for relationships to be godly, they need to be growing at a similar, similar level of intimacy. And if you find you're with somebody and there's like physical intimacy that's growing like rapidly, like every time you're together, it's just physical. It's really important that you say, actually, we need to make sure that we are emotionally growing in intimacy, that we can actually listen to how the other person's doing, that we can talk about stuff and we can talk about what's happening physically. That's really important. So I think if you're in a relationship where it feels like it is very physical, very quick, acknowledge that it's really nice. But actually, for your relationship to really become something substantial and good and kind and safe, you're going to need to find ways to be able to talk about stuff. How, and, and the way to start that conversation is, how, how can we talk about our relationship? How should we do it? Ask questions. Talk about it together. That is really important. And I do think, if you are somebody who, like when I was 16, you think, actually, I do want to be saving sexual intimacy for someone that I'm committed to, or someone that I marry, that was a really important value for me, then you need to be thinking now yourself about where your boundaries are. Don't wait to get in a relationship before you have that, com- have that conversation yourself. And I think sometimes, this isn't, I don't mean to say all girls and all guys, because that's not true at all, but what I found was, if I, and I dated a few different guys, if I dated a Christian guy, my head would do this. Well, he's a Christian, so he's thought about this. And if he's cool with something, that must be fine then. And I was never really encouraged to think for myself and think, where are my boundaries? And then if I was dating somebody that wasn't a Christian, actually, I found that often they were more respectful (laughs) of the fact that I had these boundaries. So it's really interesting, isn't it? And I think in the end, I chose not to date I, I dated a couple of guys that weren't Christians. And after a while, I thought, actually, I think I'm being a bit unfair to them because I have very different values when it comes to expressing myself sexually. And they were really, really good guys. But in the end, my heart loyalty was to God, and that was not, in, that was not where they were at. So I've chosen sort of to say to the young people that I work with, I'm not going to stop you going out with someone that doesn't share your faith. I'm not going to control you. But I want you to think really seriously about the impact on them as well as the impact on you about dating somebody that isn't a Christian. But these are things that you need to be thinking about 
and chatting with somebody about. Don't wait until you get into a relationship before you have these conversations. Chat with your youth leaders, chat with a mentor, chat with your friends, have a think about, like, how could this relationship help you pursue your love for Jesus? Elliot, that was a brilliant thought, thank you. And again, just because I've got a mic doesn't mean that I'm right. I have to wrestle through this stuff too, and I want you to bring this to scripture, to bring this to Jesus and chat with your leaders, yeah? So who's next? Who, who else wants to say something? Yes, thank you. We were just thinking, like, being taught, like, what it says in scripture. Because, like, as a young person, like, you want to base what you want off scripture. So it's like, it would just be nice to, like, Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's it, isn't it? Understand it for yourself. Those that are listening on the recording, somebody said as Christians, we want to base what we do on scripture. But it'd be nice if actually we could be helped to understand what scripture says, not just sort of told what scripture says. So this, is, this might be helpful, this might not be helpful. This is what we do in our church. So we, we talk about how we have three different pots. And if you ever come to our church at St. Luke's Blackburn, we have a, it's not a real pot, but we imagine we have a little pot here and we kind of say, if you're part of St. Luke's Blackburn, this is the stuff that is our non-negotiable. Like, anyone you ever hear teaching or preaching or leading worship or anything absolutely is sold out on the fact that Jesus is the way to God. He's the only way to God. That is his death and resurrection that makes it possible for us to know freedom and life in all its fullness. That the cross is central. Like, that is the core stuff. Absolutely non-negotiable for us. That is like, we, we believe that. Then we have this next pot, and we say... If you come to St. Luke's Blackburn, we absolutely believe that women can be leaders. Women and men are equal in standing before God and in, in calling. The women can pursue God's call in their life. Even that means being a bishop. So if you come to St. Luke's, when we read scripture, what we see is actually that Jesus releases men and women into God's call in their life. Other churches would, might think differently or believe differently. So if you go to a different church... They might be looking at scripture, the same passages, they're being faithful to God, they're asking God for revelation, but they come to a different conclusion. But at St. Luke's, women preach. Another area in that pot is, at St. Luke's, we believe that, sex, that marriage is between one man and one woman. So that is something that we talk about, but other churches might think something different. And if that is something that you don't see in scripture, we want to encourage you to find a church that does, where you can be supported and grow in your discipleship. But at St. Luke's, when you hear us talk about marriage, that's what we're talking about. And then we talk about other things in the third pot, which is like color of paint and that kind of stuff. But what we'll also have at St. Luke's is there are times where I've got a really good friend who thinks very differently to me around sexual ethics. And she's married to her wife. She loves Jesus. Her wife loves Jesus. Um, they weren't married in our church. They are married somewhere else. And there'll be times where she might come and tell her story and talk about her story. Because what we really want to demonstrate is actually when it comes to some of these things, Christians don't agree on some of this stuff. And we're going to love each other even if we disagree with each other. I'm never going to question her love for Jesus. I'm never going to question her sold-outness for Jesus. And she lands differently on that theological issue of gay marriage to me. But she has so much to teach me and show in my life. But we say really clearly in our church, we teach sex between one man and one woman. 
but you might sometimes hear people share their stories who think something differently. And that is something that I suppose, that is my heart for your generation, is that rather than these being the topics that rip the church apart, is that I think your generation, the one that can say, actually, we can, some of these things we can agree to differ on. And we can kind of hold that intention. Just like in the past, there was questions over confirmation and baptism and all that kind of stuff. So that's something for you to wrestle with yourself. So as you chat with your leaders, ask them, when you read this passage, what do you believe scripture is teaching? When you read this, what, how do you interpret this? And how do you live this out? And one of the last things I'm going to say on that is, with the research, what I found was, Young people, when I asked them, do you think your church teach that sex is between one man and one woman? Half said yes, half said no. But in the comments, they all said this. It's okay if my church teaches something different, as long as they love me. (laughs) But actually, interestingly, for young people who are asking questions about this, they much rather appreciated their church being really clear where they stood on topics and loving this young person as they journeyed through it and asked questions about it. And that's something for us as leaders. Do our young people know that they have our unconditional love as they work this stuff out, as they journey through this stuff? Because I think particularly for young people who are questioning their sexuality, that can feel like such an overwhelming thing. They're gonna risk losing the church they love if they say, I'm not sure I agree with you on this. Can we love our young people enough that even if they land somewhere different theologically, they know the unconditional love of this church, of this community? That's a really big thing for us, for our generation, I think. Any other thoughts? And again, just because I've got a mic doesn't mean you can't push back, doesn't mean you can't answer questions, guys, because some of you will feel very differently to me on this. That's absolutely fine. I want to honor that. So any other thoughts on what we said? Any other questions? Well, I think I might wrap it up there. And if you want to stay behind and chat to me afterwards, you can. This is my parting shot to you. My parting shot to you. When we choose to follow Jesus, the beautiful exchange happens. We exchange our lives for his life. He gives us his life. And discipleship is about a pattern of obedience. It's saying, Jesus, I want to follow you. Whatever you ask of me, Even if it's tough, even if you ask me to lay down stuff that I think is my right, whatever you ask of me, the exchange that you give me in replace is so much more beautiful and bigger. We live in a culture that says singleness is a curse. We live in a culture that says you've got to be experimenting all the time sexually to work out who you are. Like These are really big lies that we need to be aware of. And the Bible makes it very clear that the answer to our loneliness isn't that we date somebody or have sex or even get married. The answer to our loneliness is relationship with God and meaningful Christian community with our church community, our family. So as you think about all these things, I just want to put it in that perspective. This stuff matters, but it's not the only thing that matters. And when you say yes to Jesus, the Bible says your life is hidden with Christ in God. You are his. He loves you. He gives his life for you. 
And my prayer for you is whatever it is that you're going through, whatever questions that you have, if you're following Jesus, that you choose to let him lead you in this. You choose to follow Jesus. Let him guide you in this stuff. And remember that your body is good. It's a temple of the Holy Spirit. That you're made as a sexual being. You're going to have questions and feelings and urges. That's not a problem. And that Jesus cares passionately for you and wants to be in this space with you. Is that okay? So Holy Spirit, thank you so much for this amazing bunch of people. And we know, God, that some of the things like, as we heard at the beginning, some of these things we've talked about feel so contentious and so heavy and so big in your church right now. And Jesus, above all, I want to be faithful to you. And I know that is the heart of many in this room. We want to be faithful to you. And we want to live in such a way that our community look at us and say, what is the freedom that they know? What is the love and the hope and the joy that they know? Where does that come from? So I've said my piece today, Jesus. But I pray that mostly what these young people hear as they leave today is your wisdom, your truth, your guiding of them, and your love. In Jesus' name, amen.